Well, it's after Christmas, and it took me three months, but I'm back. Thank you to anyone still listening. I know it's been a while. Um, I wasn't really happy with the audio quality from the last episode, and I kind of let it get into my head, and I tarried. But uh, I was able to make some adjustments, and I think this episode's going to sound much better. I've already got the next episode written and ready to go, so we're going to jump back on a more regular schedule. You know, just I, I just can't say thank you enough to anyone who's still kind of rolling with this. I'm figuring it out as I go. Um, if you like the episode, please share it. Leave a review on iTunes. Um, stay tuned after the show to hear about how you can support me. And there's links in the description for any and all websites that I am affiliated with. So here's episode three the bank at the center of town. My child, that pain, does it burn? Let it burn in rage. Let it burn in rage to give way to smoldering ember that dies, never to burn again. Let it consume what remains of the tears from memories as wheat from chaff. To linger and dwell is to fester and spoil. A rotten branch splintering under your weight as you climb towards the sun. Let the pain take the tree at its roots. Burn the forest if it catches light. Burn hard, but do not let the flames leave your borders. And on the fertile ground, something new will grow. Ileana knew nothing of the world before the reconciliation. It was a foreign land filled only with the dead. No living memory crossed that veil. Most of the records had been lost or destroyed, unintentionally or otherwise, but surviving accounts spoke of a great filter through which we limped, bleeding. The world was different now. Who and what emerged was not human, not in the way which we had always been. Annihilation would have been a mercy, but much like the men who made him, God is cruel and short-sighted. Had the wise men foreseen what we would become, they would have allowed us to die before we passed that gate. Nevertheless, we linger on and on. A dead man who doesn't accept his fate. Of course, Ileana had no time for such high-minded thoughts. She was heading for the sea. Nothing lay behind her. No comforts lay ahead. As she walked away from the little A-frame house, she determined to wade into those blue waters. Drift away and be consumed. This was her plan anyways, and she had no idea how she would carry it out. She needed money and provisions. This drove her back to the town.
brother's boots fit her well, though his pants hung a little long around her ankles. People had always asked if they were twins since they were kids. They shared their father's big, open smile and brown eyes that glowed like amber in the sun. Their thick hair was always on the edge of unkempt, but never unkept. The local mothers would eye them adoringly and watch out for them when their father was at the greenhouse. They didn't look like most of the people in New Antioch, and like most children, they didn't know what that meant. Post-war communities were already a smattering of different people. The only qualification most towns required was that you were breathing and you could work. Even with this Neapolitan attitude towards differences, the little family in the A-frame house on the edge of the town was memorable. Where was the mother? Ileana had no memory of her mother's face. Her father, Antony, never spoke of her other than to say she loved to sing. He would always stare off into some distant memory, but never shared further details. Antony was well-respected in the community, an upright man in his business dealings. Never drank to excess, and was always quick to help a fellow family fix their plow or scare off coyotes in the chicken house. Ileana had heard women in town speak of him as quite a catch, but he never showed interest in anything other than his work and caring for his children. Demons lay in his past, but she knew not what they were. Neither of the two children had been born in New Antioch, but this wasn't so uncommon in the transient decades of post-war rebuilding. What was troubling was Antony's unwillingness to speak of his time before coming to the town. An upright man who treated his past like that of a man running. Her thoughts were on her father because of his deposit box. The town had a small bank, and every Tuesday Antony had taken the family into town to buy food, pay his farm tax, and to put away what little was left over in box 348. He had done this every week stretching back into the most distant of her memories. She would go to the bank, hopefully it was still there, and collect the money. A pang of guilt dropped in her stomach, but she quickly pushed it away. It was a time to be practical, not sentimental. She had already wept for the dead. She would weep for them again, but not today. The tenement houses appeared over the ridge at the edge of the town proper. She thought of walking through them two days before and quickened her pace. They grew closer, and then they were behind her. Singular in purpose, she hadn't noticed the smell come back into her nostrils. It was much worse now. The burning smell of char had given way to rotten air. Small, smoldering piles still faintly gave off smoke, but the main fires had died out in the night. Once again, she found herself looking at the pile of bodies in the town center. She froze. It was no easier to see now than it had been the first time. Flies accompanied the horror in thick blankets, the buzzing making the bodies seem as if they were still holding on to some life energy, just resting before their glorious awakening. Of course, this wasn't the case. The only new life here was maggoty fly larvae deposited in whatever flesh remained on the bodies. Eat well, she thought. Some life was better than none at all. A flash of green caught her eye. It seemed vaguely familiar. It wasn't the verdant of grass or the drab of military vehicles. It was a faded cloth. The color peeked out from the edge of the pile. She walked closer. Flies swarmed about her face, but she paid them no mind. Ileana grabbed a piece of metal that had fallen off a tractor, destroyed in the attack, and she made her way right up to the grim heat, barely able to handle the smell which had forced its presence into her mouth and began digging around the color. The absurdity of what she was doing was not lost on her. The green was not an abstract color. It was, in fact, a shoe. 
a shoe that had belonged to a man named Algin. She remembered his face, deeply tanned and weathered, though he was barely older than her. Aljon had expressed an interest in her once. He was a nice, albeit boring man. The kind of man that doesn't offend or excite. One night, not more than two months ago, Ileana had been in the pub listening to the piano player slowly score a sailor's story of some faraway land when Aljon had approached her. He appeared nervous and a bit drunk, like most men who approached her in this pub. Good evening, ma'am. Good evening, Aljon. He seemed stunned that she knew his name and struggled to proceed as if her answer had thrown off the scenario that he had rehearsed in his head. Are you enjoying the night? She asked, a hint of annoyance creeping into her voice. She was missing the sailor's description of an animal called an elephant. Aljon did not pick up on her tone of impatience. Why, in fact, I am. I was wondering if you would make my evening better by having a dance with me. Ileana, realizing the elephant would have to wait, gave Aljon her attention fully now. A dance? What kind of dance? Aljon did not know how to answer this question. Was there more than one kind? He just wanted to get close to her. Maybe after their dance, they could leave the pub and go to a hilltop to stare at the moon. Maybe she would even kiss him. Just a normal dance, I reckon. I can ask the piano player to play something other than this sad, slow song. I like this sad, slow song. S so do I, but you can't dance to it, he quickly responded. No, I suppose you can't, but please don't interrupt the story. It is terribly interesting. Unlike you, she thought. She had no desire to dance with Aljon. She had no desire to dance with anyone. They always wanted to dance with her, however. I won't. His eyes dropped to the floor and he stood there, unsure. Cheer up, Aljon. Have another drink. It's a wonderful night. With that, she walked over to the bar, leaving the young man staring at his shoes. The memory faded, replaced by a faint sadness. She hoped Aljon had found someone to dance with him before the end. Fearing other memories, Ileana left the horrible place and headed towards the bank. Her heart sank when she saw the building's facade broken and crumbling. Don't lose hope. The rest of the building was still standing. Around the western side of the bank was a side entrance. She walked up to the door and gripped the handle. Please be unlocked. She silently prayed to no one in particular. Apparently the building's iron had shifted during the fires because even though the door was indeed locked, the door frame had lost its integrity and Ileana was able to pull it open. It was dark inside. The smell of afterfire, a mix of smoke and burned wood, filled the main room completely. The murkiness was as much due to dust and smog as any lack of light. And besides the main door and front wall, the bank was relatively undisturbed. She couldn't see any bullet holes or blood stains like she had in the tenement housing that first day. Maybe everyone had been ordered out before the violence began. The teller's desk looked untouched aside from a layer of soot. Picking up her pace, Ileana moved behind the desk and searched the drawers for keys. A large steel door centered this room's back wall, the vault where the deposits were kept. It must be locked. This door would not so easily be pulled loose. There were eight drawers in the teller's desk. The keys were in none of them. She closed her eyes in frustration. Maybe the teller had the keys on him when the attack happened. Who was the teller? She had rarely set foot in the bank. Her father had talked to her about getting her own deposit box set up, but she hadn't gotten around to it. She strained trying to remember. The face never came to her, only a vague, blurry shape. 
All she could recall was a neatly dressed bald man with little glasses. No facial features came through, and certainly not a name. Defeated, she began to leave, but decided to try the vault door, if for no other reason than to allow another 30 seconds of hope. She grabbed the large handle and pushed down. It didn't budge. She put more of her weight into it. Maybe it was just stuck, but nothing. Anger replaced frustration, and she began to kick the door. When that produced no fruit, she became incensed and threw her body into the metal over and over again, a grunt escaping her lungs with every impact. Yet the door remained implacable. With her shoulder burning and tears escaping her eyes, Ileana slumped to the ground and gave one last pound on the door with her fist. Something from inside the vault pounded back. Her first emotion was not fear. Had she actually heard pounding? She gave the door another knock, this time softer. The response was a faint murmur, a voice that she could not understand. My name is Ileana. Please open the door. I will not hurt you. Silence. I just need to open this door. Can you help me? She screamed louder than intended. Her own voice scared her, soaked in desperation, and deeper than she remembered. Ileana looked around her, but no one was there. The door started to clank and shudder. A lock retracted into the wall with a sharp click. Slowly, the door opened. A horrible sight befell her eyes. The short, bald teller was leaning against the wall to the right of the now ajar door. His left leg was missing above the knee. Meaty tendrils caked with dried blood spilled from the wound, ripped tendons and torn muscles. The floor was covered in blood and old vomit. It smelled like a slaughterhouse. Well, don't just stand there, the teller managed to say. Come on in. Are they still here? They left three days ago she said, feeling shame at being the bearer of such grim news. Three days. Did anyone else make it? Her eyes drifted to the floor, telling him more than words ever could. No one? Are you sure? I have been all over the town, in the tenements, and out to the farms. Everyone is dead. They piled all the bodies in the square and burned them. Yes, I smelled their funeral pyre. The teller weakly pounded the ground. After a brief moment, it was Ileana's turn to ask a question. What happened? How did you make it out? His eyes turned glassy as he drew into his memory. I had just opened back up after lunch when we heard the aircraft first approaching. It was loud and didn't sound like the big shipping frigates or transport shuttles. We all ran outside to see what it was. I should have stayed inside. We saw them scream by. We were curious, not afraid. The first pass was for reconnaissance, you see. They didn't open fire until they came back a second time. By then, everyone was outside looking to the sky, like dumb fish in a bowl. I was standing next to a grain truck when the bullets came. 
I ducked behind the truck, planning on making a run back into the bank. But a bullet must have hit the fuel tank, and the next thing I knew, I was on my back 30 feet away in front of Maggie's store. I couldn't hear anything but a dull buzzing. Bilson Croms and Marcus ran over to me. I could see their mouths screaming, but I didn't hear what they said. I tried to stand, but I couldn't manage it. It was then that I looked down, and my leg was gone. He trailed off looking to his lost limb. She let him continue when he was ready. The boys picked me up and took me into the vault. They said they were going to go grab more wounded, but they never came back. All I heard was chaos coming from outside. I was drifting in and out and losing so much blood. I could hear what sounded like men shouting and guns going off. Not the aircraft cannons. Rifles. Smoke was coming into the small room. I closed the vault and passed out. I awoke to you knocking on the door. Ileana felt a sense of satisfaction and listened to the teller recount his story. Before, she had no idea about what took place in New Antioch. His story gave her something concrete. She could share a bit of the burden in this memory. I don't mean to pry, but aren't you Anthony's oldest? I am. Benny was my younger brother. She said. Was. The matter-of-fact way it left her mouth gave pause. The teller had missed the past tense word. Did they make it out to the farms? A glint of expectation lit his bloodshot eyes. They cleared out everywhere. I buried my brother and father yesterday. The teller's face screwed up. She could tell he was just now realizing something. I suppose they shot my wife. He took a deep breath. He was much too worn out to cry. I need to find her body and lay her to rest. Where would she have been? Ileana asked. At the records office. She worked for the magistrate, mainly doing tax accounting. Ileana had seen the records office on her way down the hill that first day. All that was left was the back wall. Those outlying government buildings had been hit first and hardest. Don't think on that right now. Are you still bleeding? No, I expect it is all clotted now, but I don't think I can get up. Besides, where would I go? There isn't a medical facility for at least 20 miles. I could drive you there. I saw some trucks by the farm that looked untouched. He looked hard at the young woman. What's the point? Everyone is dead. I am not dead. You aren't dead. But you will be if we don't hurry. He nodded his head. Apparently his sadness hadn't yet outweighed his fear of dying. She began to leave, but he quickly asked, what were you looking for in here? My father has been saving up money for as long as I can remember. I'm going to get as far away from here as possible, and for that, I need money. I wasn't going to take anyone else's, just my father. The teller sank back into the wall. His money isn't here. Ileana hurried to box 348 and opened it. Nothing. So much nothing. I don't understand. I have seen him come here every Tuesday since I was very young with his credits and walk back out without them. He was not a liar. He told me and my brother he was putting away money for us. Are you saying Antony was a liar? Her voice grew cold and threatening, much more than the teller would have expected possible. No, he was not a liar, but we were. Explain now. She reached for the pistol tucked into the back of her pants and gripped its handle. The promenader was threatening the magistrate over tax revenue. 
Apparently, New Antioch was falling behind other territories. He was threatening to cut us off from supplies and protection. The magistrate came into the bank one day about a year ago and told me to open the vault. He had two of his men open every deposit box and clean them out. They did this once a month since that day. The teller began to laugh, but it sounded more akin to a wet cough. What is funny? He was supposed to come in the day we were attacked, but he never showed. I guess even with him stealing all of the town's money, it wasn't enough. He had threatened to have me shot if I said anything. Did he steal your money? She asked flatly. No, he said I could keep my savings for cooperating. He looked at the ground in shame. Which box is yours? His eyes rose to meet hers, and she saw that he understood. 121, top row, second from the left on the back wall. She walked to the box and opened it. Inside was a pile of money, more than she had ever seen. To anyone but a humble provincial farmer's daughter, it would have seemed a modest sum. Three years' wages for most folk. To her, it was a king's hoard. She felt embarrassment and shame for even looking at this much money. She opened her bag and began to scoop the credits into it, but stopped and thought of her father. Justifiable robbery is still robbery. Are you okay with that, Illy? She heard him ask deep inside her mind. She knew he was right. I am only going to take half, and I will still take you to the med center. I know this is what Antony, the man you robbed, would have wanted. The teller said nothing. I'm going to find a working truck. I will be back. Close the door so the dogs don't come and get you. Please don't die on me. She didn't have to go far to find a working vehicle. A small off-road military runner was parked in front of the worker bunkhouse just past the tenement buildings. It proved a struggle to get the teller out of the building and into the passenger seat. He began weeping quietly when he saw the pile of bodies. It took them the better part of two hours to navigate the back roads leading to the mining outpost. Ileana couldn't shake the feeling that this wasn't over. She instructed the teller not to say anything about what happened. When they made it to the med center, she told them that she had been out hunting wild rabbits when she found this man on the side of the road. At this point, the teller had lost consciousness and was pale and barely breathing. The facility manager eyed her curiously at first, but when he saw the man's grievous wounds, he quickly carried on with his job. It was closing time in the outpost and news of this brave woman's rescue quickly spread. She went to the small pub and received rough pats on the back and congratulations. The bartender, a woman named Dorsey, poured her a bitter beer. Hi, what are ye doing here? Ileana didn't know how to respond. Having a beer. She offered. Dorsey looked unconvinced. This is no place for someone like ye. You're too soft. What business is it of yours why I'm here? She said, more bite in her voice. I'm sorry. I need to find a passage to the port. Ah, ye running. Say no more. You'll stay with me tonight, and tomorrow you'll get on the transport skiff heading south. There's a man named Nigel who'll get you sorted. Do you have any money? Yes. Good. Don't tell anyone about it. I will buy ye passage and you can pay me. You don't want these dogs seeing your pretty face and knowing you have coin. How much? Thirty credits. Thirty credits. Ileana looked confused. 
Why is your face all jumbled? I assumed it would be a lot more money. Oh, little one, you don't know anything about the world, do you? The young woman shook her head. You learn quick. We all do. After the pub closed, she followed Dorsey to a small apartment above the bar. It was not very big, but had a warmth that filled Ileana's heart. I'll bring ye some warm blankets if you don't mind sleeping on the rug. That is fine. Thank you. Why are you helping me? Because no one helped me and you break my heart. Now lie down and get some rest. In the morning, they ate some tea cakes and eggs that Dorsey had made. They were the most delicious things Ileana had ever tasted. She hugged Dorsey and left to meet with the man Nigel. She found him by the loading docks. He said nothing to her as she boarded the small vessel. As they lifted off, she looked out the window and watched the mining derricks get smaller. It occurred to her that until now, these had been the very edge of her world. The skiff turned south and flew into a brand new one. Sounds appreciates your support. If you would like to receive more content, please go check out the Patreon page listed in the episode's description.